The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. We bow in thy presence, O Lord, and give thee thanks that thou hast provided and opened a way into thy presence for sinful men and women. And we gladly avail ourselves of that once more as we meet together this morning. We know that in us there dwells no good thing, that is to say, in our flesh. We thank thee that by thy grace and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ thou hast brought us out again into the light of thy presence and enabled us to talk truth to thee. And thou thyself hast been gracious and merciful to us. Keep us then before thee, conscious of our need ever to be penitent and repentant, yet trusting and confident. For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all that call upon thee. Hear us for Jesus' sake, and advance his kingdom in the earth by means of the gospel, Proclaimed by thy servants, testified to by all who believe it, and grant that Satan's kingdom might be shaken, and truth and wickedness be put down, untruth and wickedness be put down, and once more truth and righteousness spring from the earth to the glory of thy name. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Be seated, please. We turn to Genesis chapter 3 once more, and to verses 8 to 13 this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. Let us hear the word of God. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the wind of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, Father, reading of God's word, may he bless it to us as we consider it together. We are making our way through this account of the results of the fall and turn to these verses this morning. The eighth verse uh, is linked, and we did this last time, linked with verse 7, inasmuch as part of what it records uh, describes the results 
of the sin of Adam and Eve, namely shame and guilt and fear. And that led them, you remember, each to hide himself, herself, from uh, himself and herself, each uh, to hide from the other, and both to hide from God. And ever since then, many have lived in hiding from their real selves, from other human beings, and supremely, of course, and tragically, from God himself. They fear being rejected. They fear uh, being condemned. Others are shameless, brazen, and defiant, and claim that they have nothing whatsoever to hide. I noticed on the BBC website that this week there's a documentary, Primetime Television, on overcoming nudity. Clearly, it's not only loss of dignity that, is ensu- that ensues upon sin, but moral and social decline that is irrecoverable by any human effort or means. So it was with Adam and Eve. The downward path had begun. The domino theory was in operation. But, but God. And here in these verses and also, of course, the two that immediately follow, the 15th referring to the promise of the seed, Here we have, I submit to you, the beginnings of restoration, the beginnings of recovery, attributable only to the intervention of God, and the intervention of God because he is the Lord God. It's at this point in Genesis chapter 3 that exegetically and doctrinally speaking, we are required to use the term grace rather than goodness or kindness because, of, of course, sin has occurred and guilt has been contracted and anything other than total death is astounding grace. So let's look at the intervention of the Lord God and note the divine designation here. In the verses that immediately precede, we have the word God only used here. Lord God, Lord first, Redeemer God. The one who redeems but yet is God. The one who is God and yet redeems, whose redemption then is not at the cost or expense of his holiness or his justice, and yet he has found a way in which by grace and mercy he can satisfy the demands of his justice and triumph over them. Note what is said about his intervention. They hear the voice or the sound, the sound of someone walking, the sound of a footfall or a tread, Walking 
the abuse of priests in the temple. Here again is holiness in the person of the Holy One coming back into that defiled temple garden. They hear it, they sense it, they know what it means. They hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And associated with his coming is, and you note I use the word wind rather than cool, not wanting to assume too much, but wind or storm or spirit of the day. What day? In the day that thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. Here defilement has entered the garden and there's death in the air. This isn't a walk in the park in the cool of the day. This is God on the warpath, most justly. And then in addition to his sound, in addition to his presence, there is his face. They hid themselves from the face or the presence of the Lord God. He was there. They knew it. They had to flee. And yet they couldn't escape. Here is a theophany. Here is an anticipation of the day of judgment. A manifestation of the just wrath and unmitigated indignation of a holy God who hates sin, who upholds his law and doesn't trifle with the sanction that he authoritatively declares in connection with it. Sin will be judged. That this intervention by him amounts to the first steps of recovery for Adam and Eve does not mean that sin is belittled Wrath is ignored and set aside. And following that intervention comes this interrogation, doesn't it? Sin has to be exposed for what it is. And that first question, Adam, where are you? Is not a request for information of which God was ignorant. Nor is it a lament on his part. I've lost you. Where have you gone? It's rather, Adam, you are lost. Where are you? See where you are. Why are you there? What's happened to you there? Just like those rhetorical questions at the end of the book of Job. Not tell me where you are. Tell yourself. Face yourself. You're lost. But you're not out of my reach. You're still in my garden. You can still hear my voice. Where are you? And when the prodigal came to himself... He knew where he was. He knew where he wasn't. He knew where he ought to be. 
He knew where he could be. He knew the way back. The follow-up question pursues the matter even more profoundly. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I come? And it's all in the singular. Adam is addressed first. He's the head. Both of them had eaten, but here it's only as if one had eaten. Have you done it? I told you not to do it. Have you commanded of the... Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you should not eat? The emphasis is on eat, and it recalls the word of prohibition. This is very precise. It focuses, it zeroes in on the rejection of the prohibition, the transgression of the test. Here is a God, you see, who sifts to save and to the woman what is this that you have done it's all personal it's all individual this interrogation that follows upon his intervention and yet there's something else behind this intervention and interrogation there is a particular intention on God's part. What is the intention? Well, the intention is this. He wants to bring about a confession of sin. And that's why I've isolated verses 8 to 13. Because in them what you find is this statement, and I et. Each of them. It's a long time coming. It's much delayed. And I hope you sense some relief as you read it, that eventually, after all that Adam says, he says, I et. And after all Eve says, Less as it happens, she too says, I et. The striking thing, you see, is this. That God questions Adam and questions Eve. And does not question the serpent. Why? Well, because by this interrogation, he's intending to humble, intending to convict, intending to produce. By the relentlessness of justice combined with grace. Those words that are so often, so hard for people to say. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Where are you? He doesn't say, here I am. He says, I'm elsewhere. Your voice I heard. Your fault. That's why I'm afraid. That's why I'm naked. 
you a voice I heard, that's why I'm hiding. It doesn't occur to him that he'd heard it before and yet he'd never feared. Or he certainly is unwilling to admit that fact. But God is being blamed, you see. You a voice, not me. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Precise and repetitive language. And you know what he does. Shifts the blame. You commanded me. He doesn't say, no, you didn't command me. He says, you also gave me a woman. And she gave me of the fruit of the tree. He's still dodging. He's still evading. Then to the woman, what is this that you have done? And what she records is factually true, but it still transfers blame and responsibility. The serpent beguiled me, and I yet. This is serpent talk. Adam and Eve has thought, have thought serpent thoughts. Now they're talking his language. Evasion, distortion, denial. Why is it that having begun with Adam, he doesn't talk to Adam anymore? He goes to Eve and then leaves her and goes on to talk to Satan? Because he has heard from Adam the words he wants to hear. It's taken a while. And then he's heard them from Eve. Not she saw that the tree was desirable and she ate. Nor she gave to her husband and he ate. Not she ate, he ate, I ate. And that's the point at which grace triumphs. Truth prevails. Light dawns. Life begins to return. Because in the next breath, there's a word of judgment. Curse on Satan. No curse on Adam and Eve. Curse on Satan. And that curse couches the promise of salvation and redemption for them. God be merciful to me a sinner is what you and I need to freely, readily, repeatedly admit and know that because he is the one who is good and gracious he will answer and pardon cleanse and relieve time and time again through Jesus Christ his son. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let us pray. We give thee thanks, O Lord our God, for the way in which thou dost pursue sinners. Thou hast pursued us, brought us to ourselves brought us to thyself. 
through Jesus Christ, thy Son. Keep us, we pray, ever close to thee. Enable us to walk in the light as thou art in the light and to have fellowship one with another, with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and with each other in his name until we have perfect communion with all the saints in the presence of the one through whom alone we are sanctified and glorified. Hear us, we pray for his sake. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.